And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it is uh, Tuesday as we get uh, the world kind of moving forward here. First day of the month of March. And we will see if we actually, you know, um, finish out March the way we expect. We'll see what happens. On our um, post yesterday on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, we talked about a potential March rally. And that's because the markets are so uh, oversold here and so very have so much negative sentiment. In fact, we have the most 52-week lows right now on the NASDAQ than we've had in the last 30 years. So again, those type of real negative sentiment environments, very weak environments, typically lead to short-term reflexive rallies. We talked a little bit about that in the blog post yesterday why we could have this going into the fed meeting and markets have been you know holding up fairly well here over the last couple of days despite what's all happening in russia of course you know you know this big geopolitical event certainly of concern um, has not really been impacting markets that much in fact markets ever since last week when the when the invasion actually occurred after a lot of build up to it you know a lot of concern going into the potential invasion markets were selling off concerned about the invasion of the ukraine but as soon as it happened well markets began to rally and have done actually fairly well ever since then and, and again you know this kind of defies this whole logic of oh my gosh you know uh, 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 this invasion is going to be terrible for markets big big bear market a lot of people were selling kind of panicking in advance going very negative on markets uh, that's the risk of making, and we've talked about this the last few days, that's the risk of making a one-sided bet because if things turn out differently, which in this case it kind of has, uh, markets tend to do sometimes things you don't expect. So now a couple of things here. Markets do remain in a very defined downtrend. Absolutely nothing here suggesting that anything has changed at this moment ever since the beginning of this year. Markets are still in a very defined downtrend here, are holding important support. But again, that support is very limited here to just these recent lows that we had back in early January. So if the markets don't really get kind of a fundamental lift here pretty soon and get above this downtrend, there is going to be a retest of these recent lows. Again, now coming up in mid-March, we've got the FOMC meeting talking about Fed rate hikes. Um, we wrote an article last week talking about geopolitical risk. And historically, going back in time, the Federal Reserve tends to pay attention to geopolitics and they tend to soften their stance on monetary tightening when there's geopolitical risk involved because of the impact potentially on banks. Now, uh, of course, over the weekend, we removed Russia from SWIFT and we talked about this yesterday. That has a potential, I'm not saying it will, but it does have the potential to disrupt banks. Russian debt defaults. There's a lot of debt in the world that is consumed and held by major banks uh, all around the world. In fact, banks were under a lot of pressure yesterday because of potential exposure to Russia through debt. And there is a risk of debt defaults. Debt defaults, of course, are going to potentially impact financial markets. We go back, we talked a little bit about the Lehman crisis yesterday, going back in time. You know, what caused, why Lehman was so important to the financial crisis, it wasn't because Lehman went bankrupt. That wasn't the big problem. The big problem was is everybody stopped lending to everybody else, not just Lehman. 
Everybody said, I don't trust anybody at the table. I'm not lending to anybody because I don't want to not get paid back. I don't want to wind up being the next Lehman. When the credit market froze, that's what caused the financial crisis really to kind of come to, to really accelerate at that point. That's the worry right now, of course, with removing Russia from SWIFT, that there could be debt defaults that could lead to financial disruption. Now, this is the one big thing that the Federal Reserve is focused on, financial stability. This is their big concern. They don't want to wind up. They learned their lesson with the Lehman crisis, and they don't want to repeat that lesson. So they're very skittish about financial instability. This is why we have these Fed stress tests of major banks all the time to make sure there's plenty of liquidity there in case something goes wrong. And of course, every time something goes wrong, we've got to go bail them all out again. So you know, that's the big concern here. So again, we're not out of the woods just yet by any stretch of the imagination, but as we've been talking about, there's enough negative sentiment. People are negative enough on the markets here to potentially provide for at least a short-term leg. Now, I'm not talking about the next bull market leg higher, right? Not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just simply talking about a reflexive rally that relieves some of the pressure in the market, some of this negative sentiment that gets reversed gives you a little bit of a better opportunity to do what? Rebalance risk, reduce exposure. We've been doing this on sub subsequent rallies. Every time we have these rallies, we're reducing risk and reducing exposure a bit, increasing our bond portfolio holdings. And again, that was one of the big kind of uh, <clears throat> big things that we saw yesterday in particular was that despite what's been going on with the markets, and of course, uh, even though markets have been holding in here, bonds have been performing very well here as of late. We talked about last week increasing our bond exposure um, to actually hedge portfolios against risk. Yesterday, uh, Treasury bonds had a very, very big day on concerns about what's happening with Russia. We're actually probably going to see yields again down this morning, bond prices up again as we start to see more forces heading into Ukraine, there's a four mile long convoy right now that is heading towards Kiev. So that's the, these concerns are continuing on markets and where does money go? If I'm in Russia or if I'm in uh, any European country, anywhere surrounding the Ukraine and I've got concerns about what's happening there globally, I'm moving money into US, uh, the US dollar. And in order to store money in U.S. dollars, I buy U.S. Treasuries. So this is what's been happening here, giving bonds a bid. And actually, that interestingly enough, that bid actually fell over into Bitcoin. Now, it was interesting yesterday, comments coming out on Twitter, leaders out of Ukraine coming out asking for cryptocurrency exchanges to track and, and block any Russian users from using cryptocurrency to potentially circumvent the sanctions being put on Russia. And this is one thing we talked about on Monday, saying I'm, I was surprised that Bitcoin wasn't performing better, considering that would be the first place that these Russians could go to to circumvent sanctions, circumvent SWIFT. And yesterday, that picked up very late in the afternoon, had a very strong rally in Bitcoin, Bitcoin up about 5% this morning. Now, surprisingly enough, though, when you take a look at Bitcoin, it, like the stock market, has been under a huge correction, actually having a, a bit of a rally here, kind of like the stock market. Bitcoin has become more of a proxy for risk on, risk off type events in markets. But again, we are seeing a little bit of a pickup here now as people are starting to come to the realization that Bitcoin might be a place that people buy to potentially circumvent 
these type of, of political and geopolitical events and risk crises. So along with treasuries, Bitcoin has been picking up here over the last couple of days as a hedge against pot uh, potential risk. Now, personally, if I'm hedging a portfolio for a longer term bet, I'm not buying a risk asset. I'm buying a safe asset. That's why we're using bonds to hedge our portfolios. But again, if you want a bit more of the risk side, we're starting to see that risk off type mentality, this kind of uh, geopolitical risk event, but now beginning to realize itself into Bitcoin as an alternative uh, place to store cash. So uh, a couple of things there. Now, coming back from the break, we're going to get into an interesting development out of all this, something that should not be a surprise, but is, and why there are now calls for the U.S. to drill baby drill. That's the, that's the, big, the big conundrum. What happened to green? Well, green's great until you need the black. And we'll come back after the break on The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. FAFSA. It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. It is uh, 6.17 as we get this first day of March edition underway. Hard to believe already heading into the end of the first quarter already. Just time, you know, just trying to finish up, you know, fourth quarter earnings. And now we're about to start first quarter earnings next month. So just uh, as fast as you finish one, you start the next. And that's kind of the, the way the, the uh, life goes now. It just kind of speeds right past you. But it was interesting that over the last couple of days, you know, the realization that, you know, Russia is a important exporter of oil, of oil has now kind of sunk back in. You know, for the last couple of years, we've been demonizing oil companies. You know, they're, they're terrible producers of, you know, greenhouse gases, and we need to get rid of energy companies and replace everything with green energy. It all sounds great. Um, it's not very realistic. But it all sounds great. And, of course, it all sounds great as long as you have low oil prices. And when you have low oil prices, it makes things a lot easier on consumers. And when we were at 30 and $40 a barrel, and was, you know, just remember, you know, it was just last year that we had negative oil prices for about 37 seconds <laughs> in the futures markets. And we were flip-flopping around, you know, $30, $20, $30 a barrel for a long time. And now 
with oil prices at 90.95, everybody's going, hey, where's my cheap oil? Where's my cheap energy? Why is it costing me so much to do everything I want to do? And it's always a function at the end of the day of supply and demand. This is, you know, we talk about inflation. We, we're, we don't like high prices, yet we are making choices that ultimately lead to much higher prices. So either you want high prices and green energy or you want low prices and not so green energy. You've got to kind of take your pick here at some point, but it's all about efficiency and abundance. The, and interestingly enough, now that high oil prices are here and now you have one of the largest exporters of oil being sanctioned all around the world, concerns are that oil prices are going to continue to rocket higher. And they, they certainly can go higher from here. Uh, the Devon Energy CEO came out and said at $120 a barrel, those prices are going to hit demand for oil. And that's probably true. Actually, it's, it's probably already happening now. We're already starting to see a decline in retail sales, et cetera. So things are going to return to trend anyway because of the lack of liquidity. Remember all that liquidity that we put into the system? Those $1,400 checks to households, $900 checks to households, et cetera, those are all gone. Now consumers are back to basically living on their paychecks. And while they were enjoying very low energy prices while they were getting all this excess money, now <laughs> they don't have the excess money, and now you have high energy prices. This has actually started to bring people back to the realization that maybe we need to go back and focus on drilling. And this is kind of interesting coming out of it. It's an article out of Yahoo Finance this morning of all places, which tends to lean more to the green side. U.S. may have a biggest piece of may have the biggest piece of the geopolitical chessboard. There are multiple takeaways from this particularly intense week that we saw in Russia's incursion of Ukraine to prompt Western economies and a rare and historic show of force and unity. Put the final squeeze on Moscow, but one in particular stands out. This is the opening of their commentary this morning. And here's what stands out. The United States, which for years took the fruit of its shell revolution for granted, I disagree with that statement, has mostly bypassed a golden opportunity to use its bountiful energy resources as a potent geopolitical weapon. At the risk of oversimplifying, Europe needs oil and gas, which it imports from Russia, and U.S. has both in spades. Well, we did. Under the Trump administration, we were energy exporters for the first time in... 50 years. Now, while people think that we have a tremendous abundance of oil and gas, before we discovered the shell fracking revolution, we were producing as much as we could produce, and we were still demanding more because of the size of our population. We're producing oil now. Number of oil counts, uh, number of oil rigs uh, that are actually drilling are rising right now. Uh, oil producers are scrambling to find sand to frack with, and there's just not enough of it available. But the problem is, is that over the last couple of years in particular, new regulations on drilling, restrictions on drilling certain areas, Low oil prices, that crash in oil prices we had, uh, you know, made drilling offshore unprofitable. The attack on energy companies to become more green, to abandon 
their traditional roles of, of drilling for oil and gas to now shift to more green energy alternatives. And again, this is all fine and dandy, but there's a consequence for your actions. These things are not consequence free. And we don't have oil and gas in space. We have a lot of gas. I'm, I'm not going to say that. We've got plenty of natural gas. But oil, we don't have necessarily in spades. Do we have an abundance of it? Yes, we do. We have a lot of oil and gas resources here. But you also have to have the legislative actions in place that promote and support drilling instead of attacking drilling which is what we've been doing over the last couple of years in particular. Attacking the oil and gas industry drilling at the same time that you've got low oil prices, which is restricting oil and gas drilling, doesn't create a great environment to have an abundance of oil and gas. And we went from being a net exporter under the Trump administration to being a net importer again under the Biden administration. So, yes, we are now dependent on foreign oil sources like Russia, for our oil and gas. OPEC, of course, is talking about maybe ramping up production a little, but they're enjoying high prices. So there's really no rush for them to go out and, you know, raise, uh, raise production dramatically, which would hurt their profits. So, you know, it's interesting here that now... When the rubber hits the road, so to speak, the headline this morning is Russia-Ukraine crisis shows need for U.S. to drill, baby, drill. Well, you can't just start this stuff overnight. The crisis is going to be over <laughs> before you can get a rig out there <laughs> into the field and start drilling. This is a long-term national security issue that has been talked about before and, and, and is now evident that being self-sufficient on energy is a national security issue, not being dependent. I mean, if, if, you know, if you ever want to see the problem of, of dependency, take a look at Germany and their dependence on Russian gas for their energy consumption. You know, these are, the, these are the problems with these politicians that we have in Washington. They latch onto some idea that's promoted by some group and without doing the actual research of understanding what are the consequences of these actions. Now, am I against green energy? Absolutely not. Not at all. But you have to have a logical progression of adding these, these green resources to our energy supply. You can't go and attack your main source of energy production and try to minimize them without having the infrastructure to replace them at the same time. And we don't have it. And what everybody tends to forget is all great having a green car, right? I got an electric car. That's awesome. Fantastic. I've got a green car. Where does the electricity come from? Where does all the products that build that car, from the tires to the seats, the, the body, the, the exterior, the glass, where does all that come from? It all comes from petroleum. So you're not green. When you drive an electric vehicle, 
you're probably putting out a bigger carbon footprint net net over a, a, a ice an ice car. But see, we don't think about these things. We just think about the virtue of it, right? This is just the virtue signaling of all. Oh, I drive a green car, so I'm saving the environment. No, not really. Not to mention the fact that you're putting six-year-old girls in Africa, you know, under slave labor to mine the cobalt for a lot of this stuff. Or that you're strip mining the planet for these rare earth metals. Or the fact that you now are dependent on Russia and China for these rare earth metals to do this. So back to our national security issue, are you really doing the country a favor? I mean, these are just things you have to think about. Right. Again, I'm not against any of this stuff. I think it's all fine. You want to do wind power? You want to do solar power? Do what? Do do green energy? Right. Build a nuclear plant. It's efficient. It's green. Takes ten years to build a plant, but you know, if we get started now in a decade, we could have a few plants built. But these are all the things, right? That we don't think about. We just go into Washington and start passing rules and regulations because we want to pass some. You know, we want to get votes. We want to get donations. We want to get support. We want to look good. So we pass these issues without really thinking about the consequences of it, just like sending money to households, right? We shut down the economy. We send money to households. Like, hey, great. We're going to lift people out of poverty. Yeah, for 12 months. And now where are they? They're all back in poverty and worse now. Because now you get inflation because you had no possibility of providing the supply to meet the demand. And... Mon you know, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Too much money, too few supplies, you get inflation. The lack of foresight is our biggest problem in Washington. And the lack of critical thinking. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com fafsa it's fafsa season that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid the, the FAFSA. fafsa thursday march 10th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with fafsa season realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show And welcome back to the show this morning. Brent keeps complaining he's tired from doing CrossFit. I keep telling him it's pronounced croissants, and he had four of them. <laughs> well, it is Fat Tuesday. <laughs> it is Fat Tuesday. <laughs> Mardi Gras is kicking off. So I don't know what that means in Texas, but 
It means rodeo time. It means rodeo time. That's yeah. right. So. And if, if you're not from Texas and you've never been here, you've never seen the rodeo, it's a big deal. It is the, is it not the largest rodeo? At one time it was, may still be, who knows, post-COVID, whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. But the good thing is, is we're actually back to actually having the rodeo. That's right. Which is, you know, there's a, there are a lot of vendors that their business is solely, t- they make all their money for the year at rodeo. Yeah. It's that big of a deal. And unfortunately for the last couple of years, and not have been able to have the rodeo, Mm-hmm. But um, so trail rides starting and all that. So the whole barbecue cook off. I think the that. trail rides there. They're, they made it already. Yeah. I thought they were. Yeah. I didn't know if they already arrived. But yeah. So yeah, this is this is all kind of the big deal now. So people yeah. people come to Texas during trail ride and they go, "What is going on?" Because <laughs> <laughs> you got all these people on horses, covered also. wagons, <laughs> and oxen. <laughs> It looks like the Oregon Trail took right. a U-turn. Well, no, but it's it's true. But I mean, it's Texas tradition. And if you have moved here recently from you know California or New York, New Jersey, wherever you were fleeing from, um, you know, go to the rodeo. It's it's the thing. Man, it's go an eye opener. It yeah, yeah. It's you know, stay for the you know, go for the food, stay for the music, and enjoy the events. Right. So and take the train. And take the train. That's just my advice. Yeah. Park and ride. Yes. <laughs> Park and ride is your friend. <laughs> yeah, trying to get downtown to park is just now. Nah, that's a, that's no bueno. Anyway, so just for the break, uh, talking a little about oil prices and you know this you know decision to be green is now starting to sh- the fallacy of that view is now starting to show up with skyrocketing oil prices and consumers under pressure, and you know this was all just a consequence of actions. Right. Just when you do when you restrict supply at some point, you're going to have a problem. And this is where we are now. This goes into the idea of buying energy stocks. The best cure for high prices is. High prices. Article out today on the website, I uh I had written this article last week exclusively for Market Watch. I've posted it this morning on our website talking about why now is probably a decent time to start thinking about taking profits in energy stocks. Now, whoa, whoa. What, is the, what are you saying? Oil prices are going up. We got a charge of oil supply. I should own energy stocks. Yeah, true. But that trade has mostly been done. Problem is now everybody is now crowding into that trade, thinking that oil prices are going to go to $150, $200 a barrel. The oil prices go to $300 a barrel. I saw an article the other day. You know, it's possible. It's, it's certainly possible. I'm not, you know, I'm never one to rule out anything entirely and say that could never happen. But there is simply the function that oil prices are a function of supply and demand. And when prices reach a certain level, whether it's $90 a barrel, $95 a barrel, or as Devon Energy CEO says, $120 a barrel, somewhere in there is your peak in demand. Then supply catches up. And when supply catches up, guess what you have? You have falling prices. So there is a point. Also, don't forget that as oil prices rise, the cost of producing energy goes up. 
just like I was saying earlier, if you're trying to frack a well right now, you can't get sand. What does that mean for the cost of the sand that you need to frack a well with? Well, those, those prices are going up because of a shortage of sand. That increases the cost. That reduces profitability for these companies, et cetera. So, again, and, and look, these companies are still under attack by ESG and, and all the other investing pension funds, et cetera. So, you know, the administration is still attacking energy companies. So energy prices are probably somewhere within the realm of just about as good as they can get. Could they get a little bit better? Sure. And that's why I'm not saying sell everything, but this is a good time to start thinking about if you've owned energy stocks for the last year or two, because you have to go back in November of 2020, oil, nobody wanted to own energy stocks at all. They were the worst performing asset class on the planet, period. And in November of 2020, we said, hey, you know, oil prices, uh, oil stocks are probably going to start outperforming over the next year because generally the most hated asset class becomes the most loved asset class. Well, guess what? They are now the most loved asset class. Now everybody wants them. Which means that probably now is a good time to start thinking about buying the next thing that everybody hates, which is technology stocks. Whoop, whoop. Tech stocks. Nobody wants to own tech stocks right now. They're all terrible. I know. That's why. You know, where we make our money is buying stuff that people don't want, not the stuff that everybody does want. Again, I want to be clear. I'm not talking about selling everything. I'm just saying, hey, you know what? If you've got a bigger overweight position in your portfolio after the last year or so, you may want to think about just trimming it back a little bit, taking a little bit of profit, putting some cash in the bank. Maybe, beat, maybe buy, start looking at some of these really beaten down tech companies that actually have fundamental value, right? They actually earn an income, actually have a revenue stream, actually have a business plan. <laughs> There's some companies out there that have been beaten up a lot. There's a lot of companies out there you don't want to touch. So you've got to be a little bit careful on your research, but you get the point. That article, though, is on the website today. I kind of go through the, the whole mix of it, um, realinvestmentadvice.com. Futures this morning are looking to, to open a bit lower, of course, because, again, more aggression in Russia is still kind of weighing on markets. Markets trying to figure it out. We'll see. In the last couple of days, markets have opened lower than rallied back uh, during the day. There's been a lot of money, positive money flows coming into the markets. Uh, you know, when you take a look, and I, I kind of wrote about this yesterday, talking about this March rally. Um, you know, there's a lot of money flow coming into markets, stock buybacks, global equity inflows, lots of negative sentiment. Those you know, despite the, 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 the very negative investor sentiment we have in markets right now, there's still a lot of money being poured into markets, which is not what you would expect, but that's, that's the case. So that gives the market some support here, and that's why really we haven't had a bigger correction at this, at this point. After two months of a sell-off, we still have not had really a, a big correction. We're still only down about 10% from the peak at worst. And that's been kind of confusing a lot of people. There's there's lots of articles out you know out there right now about talking about massive bear markets, and it certainly doesn't preclude that we can have a bigger bear market, especially once the Fed starts hiking hiking rates. That's generally the biggest catalyst for a bear market and a bigger decline. But they haven't started that yet, and with what's going on in Russia, we could see a 
the, the softer side of the Fed in the next meeting, which could be bullish for stocks. The VIX also has been spiking up here recently. We had a question on our chat, uh, in our YouTube chat this morning, asking about the spike in the VIX and what does that mean? The VIX has been spiking up here lately because volatility is on the rise. Prices moving up and down. And prices have been moving lower than higher, which means that VIX is rising. And, and VIX is the volatility, as a measure of market volatility, and is often referred to as the fear index because when there's fear in the markets, when people are concerned about a, a crash, they are taking action in the options market to hedge for that crash, which then starts to lift the volatility index because of the way that it's calculated. So as the volatility index is rising, that generally coincides with a sell-off in the markets. Now, the question is, is the volatility index near a peak and is about to go lower? Or is it just now really kind of getting its muster on is about to surge higher? You don't know, unfortunately. But given the fact that the volatility index, volatility index has really not risen sharply. Now, again, we've been in this correction now for two months. And yes, the volatility index is higher, but it's not dramatically higher that you would expect if there was a lot of fear in the market. And what that tells us is, is that, yes, there is some hedging going on in portfolios, but there's really not a lot of fear. Even despite the fact that we've got a issue with geopolitical crisis going on, investors really are not all that concerned about a major bear market crash. Now, maybe they were just being naive. But that's just what the index is telling us. Are they concerned? Yes. Are they scared out of their minds? No. When do you want to buy the stock market? When everybody's scared out of their minds. You want to be the guy buying from we can't. But we're not there yet. Actually, there's, again, kind of going back. The market's had a correction. There's a lot of negative sentiment. Uh, if you take a look at dumb money versus smart money, that's retail versus institutional that ratio is now at a level that historically marks a short-term market bottom rather than a short-term market peak. So as I said earlier, and part of what our article was yesterday on the website is talking about how we could very well have the, a rally in March. After two negative months, it would not be surprising for March to crank out a positive rate of return. Doesn't mean, look, it only has to be up one-tenth of 1% 1 to be a positive return. But that wouldn't be surprising, particularly if the Fed comes in on a bit softer stance in terms of Fed policy because of what's happening in Russia. We'll see what happens. Longer term, the risk of a bear market is still prevalent, though. Don't get me wrong. And particularly in the case with the Fed tightening monetary policy and eventually causing a recession. Be right back after the break. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com favsa 
It's FAFSA season, that crucial time of the year when thousands of dollars in financial aid for your college-bound scholar are at stake. Our next free virtual lunch and learn will help you avoid making costly mistakes on the free application for financial student aid, the FAFSA, Thursday, March 10th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next lunch and learn on college planning and dealing with FAFSA season, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning as we get ready to wrap up 647 on this first day, first trading day of March. Earnings out this morning, a lot of retail earnings out this morning. Target coming in with strong earnings and even says they can continue to grow sales beyond the pandemic shutdown. Uh, stock's up about 11% this morning uh, out of the gate. So if you're on Target, congratulations. You'll have a good day. Um, but again, this is just one of many retailers. We've got Hostess Brands, Brent's personal favorite, <laughs> along with his croissants. <laughs> Ho-hos, right in there. <laughs> Don't forget Little Debbie. Little Debbie's. Yeah. That's correct. Mm. <laughs> Donut sticks. <laughs> I'll have you know I had oatmeal for breakfast this morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With what in it? No, no, just plain just, oatmeal. Just plain oatmeal. Raw, plain oatmeal. Good for you. Love it for the crunch. <laughs> so do cows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chewed my cut all the way to work. <laughs> uh, also this morning, Hormel Foods, Domino's Pizza, uh, Smuckers, J.M. Smucker. Um, also, Kohl's out today, Wendy's, International Gaming Technology, Urban Outfitters. Um, let's see, on the retail side, AMC Entertainment today. They're expected to report an adjusted loss of $0.16 cents per share on revenue of $1.1 billion. We'll see how the... Uh, the Reddit crowd likes those earnings. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Those are those are kind of the big ones. Salesforce also out there. Oh, Ross Stores also uh, out today expected to report just earnings of $0.97 cents on revenue of uh, four, almost $5 billion. Uh, keep a watch on these retail reports today. Now, understand that this is a reflection of fourth quarter earnings. So don't really focus too much on what they report. Focus on what they say going forward. And I suspect that outside of Target, some of these other stores may be facing a bit more um, muted outlooks as retailers are going to start to realize that consumers are having less ability to spend money, right? Less money coming into the households from all these government supports, now living back on their incomes. Now... The issue here is going to be, for instance, you know, the fact that I ha actually had a chart out on Twitter this morning. Retailers are building up inventories very quickly because of what they perceive to be this very strong demand. Now, again, this is going to be Target's problem, too. They're sitting there going, hey, sales have been great, so I'm going to project forward because, look, all business owners are optimistic. You have to be optimistic to run a business. Sales have been great. They should be great going forward, but... They're not really factoring in the cost of what happens psychologically to consumers with $100 barrel oil, um, with re declining incomes. And once this inflationary kind of pressure continues to eat into the cost of living, people will start to 
you know, roll back some of that more aggressive spending. So Target may have a very positive outlook right now, but going forward, we could see more pressure even on Target's margins. Now, you know, one reason I like Target, I like Walmart, I like Costco, you know, those are lower end producers or lower end providers of of retail goods, right? They're not the high end providers like a Nordstrom's, but this is where average America shops, Target, Costco, Walmart. That's why we, we've owned Costco for a long time. We love that store because I like their membership fee aspect, and they just raise that membership fee again. So if you just want to even shop there, you got to have a membership, which is a multi-billion-dollar-a-year stream of cash flows coming into the business. And Costco, like Target, has a minimum purchase requirement of $300 if you walk in the front door. It's not stated, but somehow you go in, you don't leave with less than $300. World's most expensive <laughs> gallon of milk. Exactly. <laughs> One guy, I'm just going to go buy milk. How'd that milk cost $100? Well, there was all this other stuff that I picked up along the way. Got to go with it. Right. And and that's great. I mean, you know, Target is, is very well designed. No, nothing wrong with that, right? But, you know, this is just the way it works. So, but keep a watch on these going forward because they are a reflection and retail sales are slowing. Retail sales are returning to trend and will accelerate that return to trend as this liquidity that was provided is now gone. And there's really not any capacity at this point for the government to provide more. You know, when was the last time you heard anything about the Build Back Better plan? When was the last thing you heard anything about more support, right? This has, um, you know, been lately all about what's happening in Russia. And with the president's approval ratings falling sharply and with midterm elections right around the corner, there doesn't seem to be any, any ability to pass more fiscal support for the economy. So that's going to weigh on consumers that were depend or that were using that money to go spend with now that that's gone right so you know what what retail sales to uh, what retailers say today is going to be one thing because they're reporting fourth quarter where we really want to start paying attention to them is when we get into april may and june when they start reporting their first quarter sales because that'll be the first quarter where we actually see this lack of liquidity in the market we saw some of that tailing liquidity in the markets in the fourth quarter of last year they were still getting expanded child tax credits and all that that's all gone now Cole's also up this morning pre-market about five percent after the company had upbeat guidance for the fiscal year retailer beat earnings expectations in the fourth quarter AutoZone up about 3.6 percent this morning Better than expected earnings report. Again, retailers are doing fine right now. Uh, shares of Kroger up 2% this morning in pre-market after they got an upgrade ahead of their earnings reports, and they believe they have higher visibility. Foot Locker shares down 3% this morning after Goldman Sachs became the latest Wall Street firm to downgrade the athletic, athletic retailer after disappointing update on Friday. Workday Solutions rose up 7% this morning. HP is down 2%. Lucid, the, the auto car maker, electric vehicle maker. Uh, they reported um, earnings and they're down about 12% this morning after a disappointing quarterly report. Electric vehicle maker reported wider than expected loss of 64 cents a share. 
and um, revenue also missed expectations. Zoom video also down 2.5% pre-market trading after they said that their full-year guidance is below what analysts had been expecting. That's surprising. You know, there's too many platforms now to choose from, and people are going back to work now too. So less Zoom. I think people got Zoomed out, <laughs> you know. But I, you, you do have to give them one thing. I mean, you know, when you create a product that becomes the de facto word for any type of online meeting oh we're going to do zoom what do you what platform are you using oh we're using microsoft teams okay but you know oh, it's like coke it's like coke right yeah, it's, yeah. It, it just becomes that standard word we have a zoom meeting well are we actually having zoom no it's skype but you know it's the same thing it's but that's the whole point is that there's too many platforms people are going back to work people are finding alternatives um, so not surprising that, you know, their expectations uh, were down, even though the company did beat earnings and revenue expectations uh, for guidance is going to get weaker as as the world kind of returns to normal. Um, but anyway, so that's just kind of the, the, the thing is, is that as we get into the next couple of quarters, pay attention to these earnings, because, uh, again, a lot of what was driving these corporate earnings last year are going to reverse. Tighter monetary policy is going to slow economic consumption. That's the whole reason we hike interest rates. If we want to, if we want to get inflation down, we need to slower economic growth. You have slower economic growth, you have less demand. You have less demand, you've got lower profits. So keep that in mind, uh, particularly with the companies you've shown. If you're if you own a lot of high growth companies that don't have high growth sales. In other words, if you take a look at price-to-sales ratios of companies that you own that are you know, 10, 15, 20 times price-to-sales, may want to rethink about owning those companies a bit and looking at companies that maybe have more reasonable price-to-sales ratios and have more dependability of earnings, particularly in a slower economic environment, because that's where we are headed. We are headed to a slower economic environment. The the artificial surge of growth, the artificial surge in spending that is now behind us, and everything will return to normal. So things will slow down. So you want to take a look at your portfolio and say, what do I own that is dependent upon a high growth economy versus a slow growth economy? I want companies that can survive in a slower growth economy. Steady earnings, steady dividends, steady revenues. That's really what you want to look for here. And there's plenty of those companies out there, but they're not the sexy companies. They're not the AMCs or the, the Zooms, right? They're not the sexy companies. And, you know, it's interesting because back in 2020, we were getting lots of emails about, oh, I'm just buying American Airlines and I'm buying this company. I'm just making so much money. I'm up, you know, 100%. And now I'm getting emails from people that own those very same companies still and are vastly underwater. And this is what happens in markets. At the end of the day, it all comes back to fundamentals. At the end of the day, investing is all about fundamentals. Politics, those are just headlines that affect market volatility. But think about this. What does Russia have to do with AutoZone's earnings? What does Russia have to do with Domino's Pizza's earnings? Now, does Russia have an impact on some companies? Absolutely. We get a lot of rare earth metals out of Russia. We get a lot of rare earth metals out of China. So companies that are dependent on rare earth metals could be an impact. That's what I'm saying. Look at portfolios and say, what do I own 
And is that really affected by this geopolitical risk? Or is it? All right, that wraps up the show for the day. We'll be back tomorrow, catching up with Danny Ratliff as well, but also just keeping you up to date on what's happening in markets and your money, of course, as always. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and uh, get our latest article um, that is out on the website now, along with our article from yesterday on the March rally. That's all there for you. Help you make you, uh, help, hopefully, help you make some better investment decisions. Also, check out our new uh, Simple Advisor platform, simplevisor.com. Also, there to help you manage your money better. It's all there for you. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.